It is cold, isn't it, again? It's cold. I don't like this. I thought it had warmed up last week. It was 20 degrees warmer than it is today. What is going on? But it's good. God is still at work, even though it is cold. Uh, and feel free to keep your coats on if you haven't already put them, to put them back on again and to get your gloves and scarves out. If I wasn't stood here preaching, I probably would have my coat on too. Okay, so I'm going to crack straight on. Um, we're in, the, in a series looking at our greatest expectation at the moment, about our future hope, the glory that God has in store for us. And uh, we're halfway through with a fourth one today. And I just thought it'd be useful before we launch into today's topic just to explain a little bit about why we're doing this and what our thinking, what our rationale is behind doing this series. Um, you know, for, for several months leading up to this, I've just felt a growing sense of the importance of us knowing the hope that we are called to. You know, one of our key vision areas that we have up on our banners here is that we would be their hope. We would take hope to the world. But how can we take hope to the world if we don't know what our hope is? So we're lingering and dwelling on what God is calling us to, what he has planned for us, that we are better equipped to tell those who don't yet know him. And really the aim of this series is to get you thinking, to provoke you, to, to make you consider questions about what is our future? What is heaven all about? And uh, it's worth saying that, you know, it is a less, uh, it's a different style of preaching than we've done certainly recently. Recently we've done lots of topic-based stuff with lots of practical applications, you know, we've been talking about our different culture traits and there's definite things that you can do. Oh yeah, look, teach into this and we can do this as a result. But it's a different way. It's more, it is, there is more theology and it is complicated at times. But it's so important for us to dwell and to get hold of a little bit, just to begin to grasp a bit more of what God has in store for us. You know, Billy Graham, who's been very much in many people's minds recently after he passed away, he, he was this amazing man of God, and actually still is an amazing man of God, who preached to millions and he talked about all sorts of things, about appealing to, the, to them about the gospel, about talking about suffering, but always in his mind and always in his thinking, he had the eternal perspective. You know, he said things like, one day you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't you believe it? On that day, I'll be more alive than ever before. I've just changed address. That was his attitude. That was his thinking about what God was calling him. He's not going to die. He hasn't died. He's just moved to a new address. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. He said, knowing we will be with Christ forever, far outweighs our burdens today. Keep your eyes on eternity. It's so important that we're heavenly minded. So important. But where do we get our thinking about heaven from? Where do we get our theology from? Give the next slide, please, Peter. Do we get it from song lyrics and TV shows and films? Like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey on the left-hand side there. Or Bruce Almighty. Or The Simpsons. Or do we get it from the Bible? 
And that's why we're doing this series, because we want to be grounded in the Bible. Yes, there are mysteries. It doesn't tell us every single thing about what the future hope will look like. It is complicated at times. It is confusing at times. But there are clues. There are signposts. Tom Wright, who's written a lot about this uh, future hope, he says it is like, more like signposts than photos. You know, once when we were on holiday in Scotland and just driving around, we're thinking, what should we do today? We're driving around, we saw one of those brown tourist signs that you get, and it labelled a herb garden. And I'm quite into gardening. I thought, oh, that sounds great. So we started following these signs, and we kind of kept turning. We turned, there it is again. We turned down that road, and then again. And eventually we got to this herb garden that had had signposts for, oh, we probably travelled for half an hour to get to this herb garden in the end. And we didn't go wrong. We followed it the whole way. And it was essentially someone's house (laughs) with a little plot of land next to it that I wouldn't even call an allotment. And they were selling a few potted herbs. But it had this signpost. It wasn't what I was expecting. We couldn't tell from the label. Now, I'm not suggesting heaven's going to disappoint, because that did disappoint, to be honest. But we don't get all the pictures. We get some signposts, some clues about what it's going to be like, but not photos. And so we're just dipping in. We're looking at some of the passages that talk about our future hope, that we can get a few clues, that we can be spurred on and be uh, more hope-filled and joy-filled people. And I just encourage you, as we go through this series, to persevere. Yes, it might get complicated at times. It might be a little bit different way of thinking. It might challenge some of our misperceptions that we've got from films and things. But let's keep going. Let's pressing in because it's going to be worth it. And I just want to take this moment to flag up a few resources that might be helpful to you. If it's like, yeah, actually, I'd love to explore this a bit more. This is whetting my appetite, and I hope it is. But there's three books that I particularly want to flag up for you that are really helpful on this topic. The first is this series that we've talked about many times on the front here. It's a Fillmore series, Straight to the Heart. And this was actually the one that got me into this whole series, was the one on Revelation. Really, really great. Very short, snappy chapters. He takes a few verses at a time from the book of Revelation and expands it over four or five pages. It's great. You could almost use it as a daily devotional, uh, as a way in in your Bible readings. So that was, I'd certainly recommend that. Another one that is really, really great, and I've only just finished this myself, is Surprised by Hope. Uh, This was written about 10 years ago by Tom Wright. Uh, It has got a different cover now, so if you want to find any of these books, you'll find them on the bookstore later. It will look a little bit different, but it is a brilliant read. Uh, And for those of you saying, well, you know, what, it's all very well known about where we're going, but what difference does it make here and now? Well, this sort of book will challenge you because it's about 300 pages long, and 80 pages of those are, so what does that mean for us now? So he's definitely really big on the application, really worth reading. And the last one I've not read, but David has wholeheartedly recommended this one as well, uh, Randy Alcorn. I've read his fiction about heaven, which is called Safely Home, which is also a good read, but this is his biblical teaching about uh, our future hope in heaven. So there's that one. And for those of you who think, oh, I could never read a book like that, he's got a little one. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? It's like a trailer. If all you think you can manage is a trailer, this is just 75p, so it's not even going to break the bank either. 
his book on heaven. Either option is available. Um, and he's got one in between as well. There you go. Wow. So he, has, he offers a whole range. Okay. Um, also, um, in terms of if you prefer to read electronically, um, Desiring God website, which I've mentioned before, has got some fantastic uh, sermons that you can listen to or read the transcripts of by people like John Piper, all about um, heaven and hell and uh, our wonderful future glory as Christians. So I'd recommend dipping into those. Okay, right, enough of the introduction, especially as time is shorter this morning. We're going to press into our passage today, which is Romans 8, and we're going to be looking at 18 to 25. Um, most of us, when we think of Romans 8, think of Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation, or we think of the latter part of that chapter that says uh, that there's nothing can separate us. And those are great bits, but there's this fantastic bit in the middle that I think for many of us we miss. In the, in the, it's such a packed chapter. And Romans itself is such an amazing book. But I'm really excited to look at this this morning. You know, there's sometimes when... Uh, I prepare, prepare preaches, uh, it comes relatively easily, and others where it's a real battle. And I have to say, today has been a real battle. So I'm, I just believe that God's got something in it for us this morning, because it has not been an easy road getting here. And quite interesting, the first verse talks about our present sufferings are nothing compared to our future glory. And God just said, just work through the passage. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to look through some things that it picks out about what God's plans are, not just for us, but for the whole of creation. So let's have a look. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Wow, isn't that an amazing passage? Amazing passage. You pick up that feel, that tone of hope, of eagerly waiting. In fact, this next slide, you'll just see how frequently Paul uses those words, hope, and that phrase, eagerly waiting. Waiting. And that, that, that sense of the now and the not yet. Yes, we've got some amazing things already, but there's still so much more to come. Such an assurance of hope dwells in these words. Wonderful. So we're going to take this passage in three chunks. We're going to look first of all at verse 18, our present sufferings compared to our future glory. Then we're going to look at the verses 19 to 22. What about creation? And we're going to particularly linger on that section. After all, that is the title of today's talk, so we perhaps should spend longer on that one. And finally, 
verses 20, uh, 23 to 25, what about us? So first and foremost, present sufferings compared to our future glory. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know, God gives us many blessings, doesn't he? We've been hearing those testimony after testimony this morning. God pours out his blessings on us. But life is not always easy. There's pain, there's heartache, there's unresolved problems, there's financial struggles, there's difficult or broken relationships, there's loss, there's struggles in this life. And this verse tells us that what is to come is so amazing, so wonderful, that the present sufferings, at whatever level we feel we have them, they are insignificant into comparison to the wonder and the blessing and the, the awe that is to come and will be with us forever. And even now, some of you might be thinking, but what about, I've got this, I've had this happen in my life, it can't possibly be. What does Paul know, really, honestly, what's he talking about? How, does he, how can he possibly say this? Because he even goes on elsewhere in 2 Corinthians to say this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Very similar feel to this one in Romans 8. How can he describe people's sufferings? How can he describe what you and I are going through as light momentary affliction? Does he not know? Well, actually, yes, he does. Because in the very same letter of 2 Corinthians, he says this. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. My light and momentary affliction. All of that is nothing compared to what God has in store for us. He knows what he was talking about. I'm sure he's suffered probably more than most of us have in this room, and yet he was able to say with confidence, all of that, all of that, if you were to put it on the scales, would not even make a dent towards the weight (coughs) of, of the wonder of what God has for us for eternity. 
He's not denying the pain. He's not denying the hurt and the suffering. But he knows something better is coming and something that will never end. This suffering, though painful it is, is insignificant compared to the joy and the hope and the wonder that is to come. Sounds like there's some happiness going out there as well. Secondly, so first and foremost, our present sufferings are nothing compared to our future glory. Secondly, what about the creation itself? Verses 19 to 22. What Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to lift our eyes just in case, just in case, in our arrogance, we thought heaven was all about us and what God was going to do for us. Paul is saying it's not just about you. God's plans are so much bigger, though it does include us. If we call on the name of Jesus, we will be saved and will be forever. It's not just about us. He has plans for the whole of creation. Let's see what it says here in verse 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation, he says here in verse 19, all of creation is waiting eagerly longing and it's been groaning he says there in verse 22 there's an excitement there's an expectation something's going to happen for creation it's a bit like a child at the theatre saying to their parents when's the show going to start I can't wait for something to happen I can't wait this is what Paul's saying he's saying creation's like a person can't wait for this amazing something to break forth. Why is it so eagerly longing? What is it that it can't wait for? Well, we need to go back somewhat to Genesis 3, to the fall, where the Bible tells us very clearly that Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing. They sinned, and that relationship with God was broken. But what did God do? He cursed the ground as a result. The effects of sin rippled out, not just to affect all of human society, all of human race, but the whole of creation was subjected. That's what it says here. The whole of creation was subjected as a result. It didn't choose it, but as a result of our sin, the ripples have gone out, affecting all of creation. Subjected to futility. There is a frustration and a pain and an imperfection throughout creation. Although creation is beautiful, it's flawed. There's things that aren't quite right. There are things that aren't quite the way they should have been because of the effects of sin. And it's held in bondage to corruptions, it says there in verse 21. But you know what? Even in verse, 19, uh, verse 20, where it says it's subjected to futility, there is hope because it says there, in hope. God's plan is not for this imperfection 
and frustration and pain that is evident in creation, his plan is for that not to be a permanent thing. It's a temporary. It will come to an end. This is what creation is longing for, the day when that will cease to be. You know, this winter has felt very long and damp, hasn't it? Very long and damp. Now, I'm not great during the winter anyway, and I can't believe we're this cold at the end of April. But wasn't last weekend amazing? <laughs> 28, 29 degrees, wasn't it amazing? It was like, it was almost like you could feel the whole of creation, certainly around us going, oh, oh yes, it's warm. And people were smiling, and there were shorts and T-shirts, and, there was, and, and even now we see the blossom has come out on the trees. It was like this communal, this everyone together, and everything going, ah, even the birds seem to be singing that much louder. In one day, there's going to be an ah that lasts forever, where creation goes, yes, spring has truly arrived and will stay. Creation will be set free. Free from its bondage and corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. John Piper says, the hope God has in store for creation is to let creation participate or share in the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When the children inherit their glory, the whole creation will inherit its glories. Creation will be set free when we receive our resurrection bodies. The two events are linked together. That's why creation is longing for that day, for the revealing of the the children of God, because it knows what that means. It will be released and set free from his bondage too. It's probably worth just a quick word here about how that might happen. And there's actually much debate and what does it mean when it says in Revelation 21.1 that I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the old had passed away? Some people would say God's method will be to wrap this world up and everything we know and throw it away and create something new. Whereas others would say, no, it's more of a renewal. God's going to transform it completely. And if you look at different passages about it, you, could, you can argue the case either way. 2 Peter 3.10 seems to suggest that things will be completely wrapped up and destroyed. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And yet today's passage seems to suggest more of a renewal. And I think that's certainly where I'm landing is that God's going to renew the world. It's going to be something fresh and new, but he's not going to throw away, he's going to renew it. And I would say because of some of the the clues, and again I say it's clues, it's signposts, so we don't know for definite, but the clues in today's passage talk about, you know, that the earth, the creation was subjected to futility, but in hope, there's a hope that it's not permanent. It talks about being released from slavery, set free. He talks about suffering labour pains, birthing something new, 
coming forth from creation. And, it, and also because it links it with the redemption of our bodies. You know, Paul connects the redemption of our bodies with the, re- the resurrection and restoration of our bodies with the restoration of creation. What happens to our bodies happens to creation go together. You know, our bodies will be transformed. You know, when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, there was continuity, but there was also a change. They could still recognise him. There were things that they were similar, but in a moment he'd been changed from perishable to imperishable. And he's the first fruits. He's the indication of what will happen to us. And I think Romans 8 is suggesting here that there's going to be some sort of incredible transformation that happens to creation. But what we can be sure on, whatever method God chooses to take, and he is God and he'll be able to do whatever of those methods he feels he needs to do, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And what will it look like? What will it be like? Yeah, this is where our imaginations can run wild, isn't it? What will it be like? Will there be wasps? Or will there be sharks? Just two of the things I personally don't want to see in heaven. But I reckon if there are wasps, they're not going to sting. And if there are sharks, they're not going to bring fear. And they're not going to have sharp teeth. (laughs) We don't have many details or specifics in the Bible. We know it's way beyond what we can currently describe. It will be beautiful. It will be amazing. It will be a place of incredible abundance and joy in the presence of God. There will be feasting. Talks about that lots. There will be worship. There will be activity. You know, for those who think, oh, well, that's going to be a very long time of boredom, isn't it? No, there's going to be activity. There's going to be joy-filled, purpose-filled activity. You know, if you read the beginning story in Genesis, work was something that was deemed as good, but it was after the fall there was effort and toil and trouble with the work. We will have purposeful, joy-giving work and activities to do. It will be a place without thorns and thistles, without floods and droughts and earthquakes, without destruction, without poisonous snakes and bees that sting. It tells us there will be no more pain. No more death. No more tears or mourning. You know, years ago, I did GCSE music. And as part of that, we had to do a composition piece. Uh, So I chose for my composition piece to take the words of Revelation 21. There will be no more pain or death. And I put it to music. But at the moment, there is... And it's really hard, and now it's really difficult. And they gave me a really high mark. I think they thought I was kind of speaking from teenage angst and like, oh yeah, really, he's really in touch with his suffering. And but yeah. <laughs> there will be a day when there's no more pain. There's so many of us live aware of pain, either in ourselves or in those we love. No more pain. It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says. There will be no more suffering. There will be a freedom. All of creation will be released from its frustrations and its struggling. Isaiah 11 really gets your kind of imagination going, doesn't it? Isaiah 11 is the passage that talks about what animals are going to do. 
the wolf and the lamb will dwell together. Can you imagine? The cow and the bear will graze. The child will play at the hole of the cobra. Poetic picture language. Some people will say, well, that's all it is. I think there's more than that. I think God has got these amazing things planned. Above all, new heaven and earth is where God will be. And we will be there too. So finally, what about us? Verse 23 to 25. What about us? And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Just like creation is eagerly and longing, waiting, we too are waiting. We're longing. We're groaning for the completion of God's saving work. You know, you see here the real tension between the already, the now, and the not yet. There is suffering, yes. We're groaning, there's pain, yes. But there's more to come. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We too can have hope because we have the first fruits. As Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's like the down payment, the pledge, if you like, of what is to come. We see glimpses now, don't we? We see glimpses of God's kingdom breaking in, people being healed, people being set free from addictions. We see those things. Well, a day's coming when that will come in fullness and we will be restored. We will receive our heavenly bodies. One day we will be with God forever in an amazing life that is full we will be in his uninterrupted presence. There will be nothing that gets in between him and us. This is the ultimate hope, joy, and wonder. Wayne Grudem, in his Systematic Theology, says this, more important than all the physical beauty of the heavenly city, more important than the fellowship we will enjoy eternally with all God's people from all nations and all periods of history, more important than reigning over God's kingdom, more important by far than any of these things will be the fact that we will be in the presence of God and enjoying unhindered fellowship with him. Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Heaven will be an amazing physical place. It will be a place where we get to fellowship with believers throughout all time and all around the world. It will be a place full of wonderful, purpose-giving activity. But above all, it will be a place where we enjoy being with God forever. As Christians, we have an amazing hope and a future. Our present struggles, pain, suffering are not worth comparing to our future glory. Creation, which currently waits eagerly and groans in its bondage, will be set free. A new heaven and earth is God's plan. We too, who wait and groan, can have assurance of hope 
for living with new bodies on this new earth with God forever. We're going to finish with watching a video. This is a video by a band called The Fat Fish, who many of you have heard of, and they've got a song called There Is A Day. Very familiar song to many of us. I came across this video. It is a little bit blurry, but I think it's worth it. I found it incredibly powerful. Before we watch it, I'm just going to read you the lyrics. And hopefully you'll recognise some of these lyrics as being from this passage we've been looking at today, as well as some of the others we've looked at and will be looking at. Just let it wash over, let it do you good. There is a day that all creation's waiting for, a day of freedom and liberation for the earth. And on that day, the Lord will come to meet his bride. And when we see him in an instant, we'll be changed. The trumpet sounds and the dead will then be raised by his power, never to perish again. Once only flesh now clothed with immortality. Death has now been swallowed up in victory. We will meet him in the air and then we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Then all hurt and pain will cease and we'll be with him forever. And in his glory we will live. So lift your eyes to the things as yet unseen that will remain now for all eternity. Though trouble's hard, it's only momentary and it's achieving our future glory.